Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Music, Money, and Life podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by howtolicenseyourmusic.com. That's my website. And if you go there, if you go to the homepage, there is a form to enter your name and email. And when you do so, you'll get a free subscription to my newsletter all about how to license your music in television shows, films, video games, and advertisements. You'll also get a free ebook and video all about music licensing when you sign up. Today I have a singer-songwriter from New Mexico, a New Mexico-based singer-songwriter. Uh, his name is Don Canocente. Hopefully I pronounced your last name right, Don. Don, how are you doing today? Doing good today. I got a little bit of sleep. Nice. How many hours yes. of sleep did you get? I got over six, I think, closing in on seven last night. That's not bad. Is that normal for you? How, how many hours a night do you normally sleep? Um, it's, I've been averaging about five and a half the last couple months. That's I don't recommend it. Yeah, I need at least, like I'm one of those people, I need at least eight hours of sleep or I just don't function well at all. I think sleep is very important. I want to be you when I grow up. Well, a lot of people want to be me when they grow up. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So Don, uh, Don, like I said, is a singer-songwriter from New Mexico or based in New Mexico. Where are you from originally, Don? I grew up in Chicago, in, uh, in, and I left home when I was about 17, and I bounced around California and hitchhiked around the country, hopped the occasional freight train, ended up in New England for a while, migrated down to Key West, ended up in Atlanta for a while. Kind of covered a lot of ground, lived a lot of different places, Oklahoma, Colorado, uh, currently northern New Mexico, Taos is is a pretty happening spot, probably the last place I'll plant roots for a while. Yeah, how long have you been there? How long have you been based out of there? Kicking around Taos for about 12 or 13 years. I've lived here full time for about seven or seven years, I think. Nice. What is the uh, music scene like where you live? It's pretty great, I gotta yeah. say. Uh, it's... It, it, it's like many music scenes, always evolving, but uh, it's it's an interesting little pocket of people. F you know, I kind of call Taos the the hideaway for superheroes that are kind of semi-retired. Mm -hmm. So we've got our share of famous people, and you never know who you're going to run into and what they, you know, they've maybe worked in the movie business or famous actor or writer it's pretty incredible here so you get an interesting mix of very rural ancient even uh you can step back in time pretty easily a few hundred years here just turn a corner but then it's very cosmopolitan too it's for a small town it's a pretty surprising mix uh, what's the population do you know um five thousand if you gather everybody in from the from the edges of town five thousand wow. the really small pretty small okay um yeah that's tiny well that's cool so don and i were talking a few months ago and don has kind of an interesting story you were telling me don that you you know you've been at this quite a while been playing music since uh like the mid 70s and you were saying like around 2000 2001 like around that point you had had a pretty good following, uh, kind of the singer-songwriter circuit. Would, would, is that fair to say? You, you were fairly yeah, established? I mean, I'm, I'm the epitome of the independent artist. I just kind of built it from scratch. 
and figured it out along the way. And he had some he had some friends that, you know, I kind of ran with, and we came up through the singer-songwriter circuit together. And I hadn't reinvented myself many times before that. So being a singer-songwriter, um, which I started in the early 90s, was, was very new. Now, I'd been writing songs and performing songs solo and with bands for many years before that, but it was a new idea for me. So mm-hmm. I worked really hard at it, and I tried to figure it out, and... By the time 2000, 2001 rolled around, I had some pretty good momentum, and I'd been working the national circuit coast to coast, playing some really nice venues and some nice festivals. Yeah, what? what and making records. No, I'm making a record every year and a half. Nice. Half. What type of venues were, were you playing? Can you kind of give us an idea of of where you were in terms of your career? What what size venues and and like maybe some of the specific venues you were frequenting? Well, you know, on the circuit, venues change a lot, especially it's an acoustic-based thing because most of the time you can't afford a band, so you're out there by yourself. And they're listening rooms, and there's cover charges, and, it's you know, it's, it's on some level, you might use the word classy. I, I cringe to say the word because, as you and I know, as working musicians, it classy is is a rare experience, but... Uh, but for the audience, you know, pretty nice. And so places like the Troubadour in L.A., Genghis Cohen, little place uh, in Chicago, places like Shuba's, Fitzgerald's out on the edge of town, mm-hmm, sure. Space in Evanston, and really some nice rooms. Um, there's a, so many venues. I mean, I was doing 160 shows a year. Wow. So you 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 were you were a, a full time. Were you making your li- living just from performing and, and selling CDs? I mean, yeah. there was no time to do anything. Hardly time to sleep. I was working twelve to sixteen hours a day. Yeah, pretty much seven days a week. Wow. And and, and how many I, how many people were attending your shows? I mean, obviously it fluctuates, but were you getting it fluctuates. Time? I mean, there'd be scary nights where there'd be ten people, and then there you'd have three hundred and fifty people. Yeah. And it, it's so all over the place, as you know. I mean, it's, sure. it's so hit and miss. St- snowstorm could wipe you out, a bad rain. Uh, the, the last episode of Seinfeld, I remember having a show that night. What a disaster that was. Um, did, did you have a sense, and, and kind of what I'm trying to get at is, did you have a sense that you were building this momentum, like your career was? I mean, obviously, if, if you were doing this full time, you had already achieved something, you know, very, uh, uh, pretty exciting in and of itself. But was there a sense that you were moving towards kind of breaking through to bigger and bigger venues? There was. It's very hard to have perspective when you're working that hard by yourself, yeah. basically. I, I could hire help once in a while, train somebody on occasion. Uh, pretty difficult to do. It's, it's, it isn't rocket science, but it's close. And... When you're doing that many shows, and you have a, and I had a my own record label, and I was doing radio interviews every week and putting out records and advertising, and I had distribution, uh, so I was the booking agent, I was managing the distribution, I was the manager, uh, contracts, and you're looking under every stone. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it was I think it was moving in the right direction. Um, 
my people are taking my calls. People are giving me reviews. I was getting ink and papers. People are putting a picture in the Arts and News Weekly when I'd come to town. I'd get radio interviews pretty regularly. Yeah. People were coming to my shows. They were signing my mailing list. They were buying my CDs. Um, from a business perspective, it was working. And from an emotional and spiritual experience, it was definitely working. Um, the audience and I were connecting on a regular basis on, on a, a level that I would consider meaningful and at times profound. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting, Dom, because sort of the conversation that, that I want to have with you, you said that around when I talked to you before, like around 2000, um, 2001, things started to change for, for you and you sort of reassessed your, you know, where you were headed. And it's interesting to me because as a musician, I've seen so many bands and artists sort of reach this level that, that I think maybe what is comparable to, to where you were, where things really seem to be headed in, in the right direction. And then for, for whatever reason, they just stay there or they stop. And, and there's just this difficulty in kind of breaking through to greater success. So I kind of kind of want to have a conversation about why that is and what happened in your case and, and how you, you know, where you're at today and, and how you've changed your sort of approach to your career. Well, I, I, w- I agree. I think it's it's pretty standard for people to go through big changes and, and cyclical changes in burnout. Yeah. And I, I expect, you know, for me, I would say every seven to ten years, I can almost expect something big to happen. Yep. And it may not happen all at once. But I've been through many cycles of this because I've been at it so long. So it doesn't surprise me anymore. Sure. But... When 9-11 occurred here in the United States, that was big. I mean, that's an understatement. I don't mean to sound stupid about it, but all things aside, it, it changed everybody's mindset, at least temporarily. And and beyond that, I mean, as, an art, as a working artist, from a business perspective, that was 30% overnight just sliced off the top of everybody's income. And when you're an independent artist like I was, heavily leveraged, trying to get a business up on its feet, a record company, distribution, I mean, you're just maxed out financially, time-wise. And then something like that happens and just takes 30% of all the energy and the income and the, the money energy and the emotional energy and just lops it right off the top that was huge and a lot of people didn't recover from that uh, I mean major artists canceled tours and I mean you know everything changed I remember reading an article that Neil Diamond had this huge comeback record that produced by Rick Rubin that was going to be a complete career changer for him it released on September 11th 2001 died within 24 hours so it wasn't just me you know but I held on for another year or two and just tried to make a go of it but at the same time I was also really burned out working 12 16 hours a day touring 11 and a half months out of the year and more or less doing it on my own 
Yeah. And it became unsustainable. I wasn't enjoying my life. Yeah. I did not like who I had to be to pull that off. Well, I think that's interesting because we, I say we as musicians, I think understandably musicians are striving for a certain level of success. But what I find interesting is is sort of where personal fulfillment factors in to all of this because it it almost seems like in some cases like maybe in your case had you kept going could if you could have sort of sustained those long hours and the grueling schedule maybe you could have gone further you know quote unquote but would you have been happy and fulfilled i think that's that's a really important question so what what when you kind of reached burnout and you decided it just wasn't working for you anymore. What did you? What kind of changes did, did you make? Did you scale back? Did you move somewhere differently? What What happened at that point? Oh, it was amazing what happened at that point. I, like I said, I've lived all over the country. I've got a lot of friends, a lot of connections here and there. So, I, in the spring of, I think it was 2003, I decided. I've got a great calendar book, lots of fun venues and festivals that I've worked my ass off, and now I can. I'm just going to cruise through this as if I was just the artist. I'm not going to be the manager, I'm not going to be the publicist, I'm not going to be the booking agent anymore. Just I gave it up, and I did the the, the summer, the spring and summer. It was great, and and then when September rolled around, I was done. There was nothing else on the calendar. I was two weeks away from bankruptcy. I got a phone call from a buddy of mine. His name is Buddy, actually. Buddy Nelms in Columbus, Georgia, who owned a venue I used to play. Mm-hmm. Columbus is a couple hours south of Atlanta. Pretty little town on the river in south-central Georgia. And he opened a bike shop. He needed somebody to manage the bike shop. The bike shop was below the nightclub, so up the back steps from the bike shop into the club. I had all my gear there. Phenomenal bass player that I've worked with before. He's a great drummer. So it was managed a bike shop by day, play music at night or whatever. But it was it was like, okay, I'll go. I'll do this. Packed my van. Drove down to Georgia. Um, parked the car. You know, I, I the tires rotted. Honest to God, I didn't burn through an entire tank of gas in a year. So I spent a year managing a bike shop, riding bikes, doing the occasional uh, gig, shut down the email, parked the car, and it was a very, very different year for me. Yeah, but it, but it sounds like it in, in a positive way, huh? Y- yes and no. I mean, that's a tough transition emotionally yeah. to make. Um, but spiritually, yes, I needed that. Yeah. And it was, it was really beautiful. It was a beautiful place. I lived a very simple life. I had no money. I was fighting off bankruptcy. So we got cut off, everybody. But um, yeah, I was going to say, Donna, it's it's interesting to me how in life sometimes things sort of work themselves out. Maybe not necessarily how we would like them to. Um, I have sort of a similar story. In 2010, I was... Uh, I reached a point around the middle of the year where my business wasn't doing very well and things were just not going well at all and I was getting pretty depressed and frustrated and kind of out of the blue I got a call from a friend who 
owns a restaurant in Granada, Nicaragua. And he's like, dude, why don't you uh, come down here, spend a few months? He's like, I've got a free, you know, I've got an apartment that you can live in next to the restaurant in exchange for playing music. I think it was like three nights a week. And uh, so it wasn't as long as, you know, it wasn't a year. It was like three or four months that I did this. But it, it was just one of those things that, I was looking for sort of a solution to the dilemma I was in, and it just kind of fell to my lap. So, you, but let's get back to your story. So, you spent a year uh, managing this bike shop and performing, and then what happened after that? Well, you know, it's, I'm trying to think of a way to keep it simplify this and keep some focus in it because my life is is so erratic. Uh, and all over the place. I mean, there's just too much ground to cover. Um, I I think it's safe to say I foundered. I think it's safe to say I'm foundering, which is not necessarily a bad thing because I'm maybe the better word for it is searching. But I'm looking for peace, and I'm looking for a spiritually meaningful existence above and beyond everything else, especially after going through those early years of you know, near misses with record labels and MTV and, you know, wanting to be a rock star and whatever else it is. You, you want to be successful. Um, I think as an artist, once you get a sense of maturity, you want to be successful because you want to do good work. And you want to work with good people. You want to work in good venues and under good circumstances. And that's hard to come by when you're struggling, when you're not known, when people won't take your phone call when they you don't have a reputation or a name to perceive you and my efforts are always to find a peaceful existence where I can do good work and so yeah. I got around a lot after that bike shop year trying to find my way back to a center and it's in many ways, I look back at it and it's very haphazard. And in other ways, I was just following my instinct and following the voice of spirit in many ways. And, and I don't mean to be off-putting by saying that, but it's a very nuts and bolts kind of way of life for me because I've been at it so long. I don't question it. I don't even discuss it very often because it's just day-to-day living for me. It works. Yeah. But it's not about being clapped at. It's not about being famous or rich, but at some point, I still need to find my way through the industry, you know, make good business choices, make a living, um, because this is what I do full-time. It's what I've been doing full-time most of my life. Every once in a while, you got to go dig a ditch, you know, or do something to make ends meet, but this is what I do. Yeah, no, it, it's it's an interesting sort of balance to, to me. I... I I don't know if, if you saw this, but a couple weeks ago, I wrote a post on my blog titled, Should You Quit Music? And it was sort of posing <laughs> the, the, this question of, I mean, I think it's something that most musicians can relate to, is we've probably all reached points where we're just so frustrated with, with the business and the the sort of brutal reality of the music business that I, I think... I don't know about you, but I've reached points where I've just contemplated just quitting altogether. And, and sort of the point of the, the blog post and what I've always come back to in my life is if you get more joy out of playing music and writing music 
then you get pain, then it then it's a good it's a good trade off. You know, like anything, most things worth doing are going to be difficult and stressful. So it's not that I'm teaching people that they shouldn't strive for success because I, I think that's normal and, and desirable. You, you know, it, it's hard. We all want to be perceived as successful, but at the end of the day, the day, I think it's more important to just do things that, that bring us joy and, and happiness. And if music is one of those things, then keep doing it. Well, you're, you're an interesting guy. You know, and you, you've been a very influential guy. I started to pay attention to your postings online and, and, uh, and purchase some of the, the products, let's call them, that you, that you offer. It benefited me immensely. So we're talking about the business in a sense, but the story, I think it's fundamental. And if you don't have Okay, I'm back here with uh, Don Conacente. We're having some uh, technical issues on Skype. Uh, so let's see, where uh, where were we, Don? <laughs> do, do you remember? The wind blew it away. The, wind, uh, it the is answer, so my friend, is blowing in the wind. I think you were talking about how awesome my products are. And, they and are some... awesome! <laughs> Man, you have given me a, a fresh push, you know, an impetus to dig back in. Um, we were talking about how maybe some people should quit music. And, I, and I, I've had to quit music probably every 10 years I have to quit music, whether I want to or not. I think sometimes yeah. you gotta, you got to refresh, you know. Yeah. You and, and, and sometimes the market sort of dictates who should quit music, you know. I think Steve Albini, you know, the, the producer – yeah. Said some, he said something to the effect of music is sort of like tennis. You know, it's it's something a lot of people want to do and enjoy doing. But let's face it, like most people aren't going to make a living playing tennis, and most you know musicians aren't going to become ultra successful. But but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. it it's just you, you kind of have to pursue it with as much passion and as diligently as you can and at the end of the day like it, it's a little bit out of your hands like how successful you become right i i agree and i, I think it's like anything else it's a it's a small business and you're you know if you're going to be a, a mom and pop shop or a, a contractor or, or however you want to look at it it's how many small businesses survive and succeed and you go through the market kicks your butt all over the place sometimes some years are good many aren't yeah, um, you know, I, I talked to lots of people about last year. Last year was a butt kicker. You know, a lot of a lot of people I talked to just really, really struggled. The year before was pretty good. Yeah, this year yeah. I don't know Flux, what this year is going to be. Fluctuates. Changes the name of the game and in the market. If you're doing this for a living, which is what I've been doing for a long time, a lot you people say, "Oh, you have a choice." I don't really subscribe to that that often i mean you got a choice whether to make a do this as a living or not but once you're in a lot of things are out of your control you're yeah. just reacting to forces that are beyond you and you're doing your best to keep going 
Yeah. You got to maintain some level of joy. If that's gone, you're toast. Exactly. Yeah, and and, and, and if you are the type of person, like, if you're compelled and inspired to write music or, or pursue any sort of art form, I mean, that that's that's a beautiful thing. And I, I don't want people to m- misunderstand what I'm saying. Like, like, the whole reason I do my website and this podcast is... I, like to me, music is a sacred, beautiful thing. So whether you make a full-time living or a part-time living or just do it as a hobby on the side, like it's it's a really, really beautiful thing. So my whole goal with with my website is just to empower people, you know, to the extent that I can. Like if you're going to do music, you and you want to make money from it, obviously you need to be educated and informed about how the business works. And, and I think that really you know, can give you a huge leg up, you know, in succeeding. It's a business, you know, you can't separate it. You want to make music and, and you want to do it in your own terms, you should you should have another way of paying your bills. If yeah. you want to make music in the music business, then you've got to get down to figuring out the business end of it and you still yeah. got to make music. And if you don't have the mind or the heart if you're writing music and composing music you have to be sensitive to input you know because you got to be influenced by the world around you and if you're just bummed out all the time and beaten up and depressed um, to the point where you can barely function how how are you going to create or what are you going to create you know maybe you get lucky maybe it puts you in a place where you create this dark melancholy thing that just takes off like gangbusters big audience for it i don't know but but i try to be productive and and sensitive and i write music i produce music i perform live i arrange music for other people i'm in the process of teaching myself how to be a digital recording mixing and mastering engineer um you gotta do a little bit of everything. Survive yeah. these days. You just yeah. Just you hit the road. Yep. Do some shows, make some records, and you can make a living. Now you gotta really mix it up. And you have provided a lot of of hope and empowerment to people like me who needed to change it up. I mean, what do I do now? How do I change this up? I had no idea. I'd always been thinking about licensing. For film and TV, I mean, always been thinking about that. And people are saying, wow, that song would sound great in a movie, or wow, this composition, because I've always been composing instrumental music along the way. And even when I was on the road all through the 80s, I had a recorder and a drum machine with me, and I was always working on, on music, composing music, writing songs, writing instrumentals. So the idea that there's another avenue, there's another revenue stream, there's another creative outlet. You know, there's another cool thing to do musically that could be really fun and exciting. And here are some new skills to learn that could be useful. So you can never just get into one thing, I think, and settle into that if unless you're Sting or Elton John and, you know, Stevie Wonder. And people have really established themselves in a certain way. But I think if you look behind the scenes with those people, they're very busy with the business operation of their of their music it's not just sure. music for anybody that's in it that deep there's a lot of other things involved and most people don't really understand that when they just look at it from the outside and say i want to do that yep 
Yeah, I think I think for most indie musicians in 2014, it's you need multiple revenue streams, you know, and, and that's something that I hear over and over from people, you know, from my friends and people that I consider to be the most successful on an indie level. They're almost all doing, you know, three or four different things: licensing, performing, selling music at shows, merchandise. Um, I think you really have to. I, I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's a negative thing. It's just the reality of the business. You know, I do my as good as possible, as best as possible, I should say. I try and sort of keep my my finger on the pulse of where the music business is headed, and it just seems like you have to have you have to wear a few diff- different hats to be successful uh, in 2014. Well, you're you're a good case in point. I mean, look how multidimensional you are. I don't know you that well, but I've gotten to know you through uh, mentoring with you and following your blog when I can, reading all your your emails, you and Gary Gray and some of the other people that you've introduced me to through these podcasts, invaluable and and, uh, and interesting and empowering. I I highly recommend it to everybody to check into these other interviews and people you're talking to because... You need every perspective you can get, I think, if you want to make a go of this as a business, as a livelihood. You have to be really on your game. It's You can't be casual about it. Expect it to just fall on your lap. It happens, but it's pretty rare. And you were talking earlier about like tennis players or look at NBA players. And they, they talk about all the kids that want to be go big time, be in the big show. And what's the percentage of people that actually sign those big contracts? Like 1%, less than 1% of all the people that aspire to do that. Yeah. So few. But in the independent music industry, if you're willing to diversify and create a lot of different skills, wear a lot of different hats, and create multiple revenue streams, you don't have to be famous. You don't have to be John Mayer, (laughs) who is who's a friend of mine, good for John, but we can't all be John Mayer, either because we don't have the talent or we don't have the timing. Yeah. And, and you can't get by on just one or the other. And people, you know, knock Britney Spears or these different artists, and I'm like, well, you know, you don't really know. Those people are working pretty hard, too, and you can't be without talent and pull that kind of a thing off. Everybody's got to work hard. You have to have a mix of talent and business um, sense yeah. to make a living. You just do. And whether you're a plumber, you know, or whatever you're doing, it just you've got to be good at it. You got to make it work. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think like what I really teach and and sort of where I'm coming from is. I think you're right. Like, not everybody is going to reach the level of John Mayer or Britney Spears. But I think most musicians, and and I say this, I'll put it this way. I think most musicians who are good and determined can make a living. And that's really, that's been my message throughout running my website, is that if you love music and you want to make a living doing this, I think that's totally attainable. And realistic it's not easy but it's it's very doable w- would you agree with that i would agree with that but but not everybody is wired in a way that they can they may want to but they may not be able to because you have to in many ways become somebody 
who can do the things that you want to do. Because you, so a lot of times you're starting from from scratch, you yeah. know, and you got an idea, or somebody reads one of your blogs, or decides, oh, I want to do that. But are you equipped to do that? Do you have the skills? Do you have the the tools? Do yeah. you have the home life to support certain things? If yeah. you if you just got married, you know, three years ago and knocked out three babies in a row and you're struggling financially, you may want to go out and become a touring uh, singer-songwriter, but you've made some choices in your life that say, no, you can't. Maybe, you know maybe. I mean, and, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not, I don't think it's easy at all. I don't think the life of a professional musician is necessarily an easy life, but but it's attainable. Yeah, like, of course, not everybody is going to succeed but it's a journey right and and those challenges that come up along the way as you figure out how to overcome them and navigate your way through these obstacles you grow and that's i i think without getting too philosophical that that's you know as rewarding as as any success that you may or may not attain is just the 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 path of of you know having this goal that's seemingly out of reach and and kind of working your way towards it that that's a good point and that's a lot of, of the path of empowerment is is about baby steps yeah in many ways it's very incremental but you have to make choices day-to-day choices about how to structure your life so that you're you, it's conducive to what you want to accomplish that's that was the point i was trying to make with you know, the person who might get married and have a bunch of babies and then decides they want to go live on the road. It, it's not conducive. Sure, sure. Now, I agree with that. And, and I, I talk to musicians all the time who it's a real common situation is musicians come to me and, and they say, look, I'm 40 years old or I'm 50 years old. I have two kids. I love music. I've pursued this my whole life, but I just can't do the, the live touring thing anymore. And that's you know that's where they're looking for licensing or, or other revenue streams. So yeah, I totally get that. There you go. And so they should be reading your blog and you know and uh, paying attention to some of the stuff that you're sharing with people. And it's a beautiful thing. And there are you know since you you and Gary Gray uh, are are my point people in this new phase of what I'm doing. Now I'm sitting in a project studio right now while I talk to you, surrounded by preamps and, and near-field monitors and a MacBook Pro and, you know, Surface Controller and Pro Tools, Logic, Studio One. Um, I'm trying to teach myself to produce my own music and to mix and master this music, not only for licensing and publishing, but for the rest of my life. And to be a gun for hire for other people for mixing and mastering their projects when it makes sense that I might be the right guy with the right set of ears. Nothing is perfect about any of this, and it's very, very difficult. But step by step, through studying with you and Gary and, and you know going online and finding amazing tutorials on YouTube from people like Dave Pensato, um, who is 
an amazing mixing engineer, uh, works with lots of major artists. There are so many people out there willing to share their secrets at this point that it's exciting time for an independent musician, no matter what you're up to. Unfortunately for me, uh, I like to do it all. And I always have. I've been, I was doing this kind of multi-track recording in, up in the hills of Vermont, in, in central Vermont in the mid-70s, you know, cutting tape and running it through the spool backwards and taking bits and pieces of other recordings and splicing them into my recordings. And, you know, the sky's the limit. Back then, we were doing four- and eight-track stuff. Now I'm doing 48 channel counts, and I'm trying to get a MacBook Pro to mix it all down and, and get it mastered and get it up on these music licensing websites. And it's daunting, but it, it's something to do, and it's potentially a revenue stream for me. I'm kind of early in on it, you know, as you know, because you're mentoring me. Um, but people got to keep working. You can't just got to take a step at a time and keep going. And it's so easy to give up. I want to give up once every week or two. Yeah. It's just really difficult to get all this stuff done. If And if you've got kids, you know, power on you, you know. Cause do, you, do you have kids, Tom? I don't. No. I've got a massive garden that requires a lot of attention, but... <laughs> And in, in, in terms of performing, how much are you performing these days? These days, very little. I'm yeah. touring with um, a couple of good friends of mine off and on mm-hmm. uh, in a band called Disappear Fear, Sonia um, Rutstein. She's a phenomenal artist, and I love working with her. So I get on a plane, and I go to Baltimore, and I, and I jump on another plane, or I get in a van with, with Sonia and Disappear Fear. And then when I come home... I'm kind of under house arrest here in the studio, um, working on the rest of this stuff. But but a year ago, it would have been a different answer. I was in four bands regionally, plus one or two things on the national circuit. And I was very, very busy performing and mm-hmm. not so much time in the studio. This yeah. year, it's, it's kind of the opposite of that. And, and in terms of how you make a living, what, what are your different revenue streams? Can you kind of break down... Break down? how that works for you? Sure. Um, I'm a CSAC artist. Mm-hmm. So when I perform or collect any kind of royalties, that's through CSAC. That's my performing rights organization. Very important for people to have a solid relationship with their performing rights organization. You, if, you're, if you're performing your music live, you should be submitting your set lists to your PRO, performing rights organization, and you'll be getting royalties for those performances it used to be that elton john and sting who i mentioned previously got all that money and bob dylan they got all that money but they figured it out now how to redistribute that a little more fairly to independent artists um i do and and before you go on i want to clarify this so how much how much are you getting in royalties from so you're saying in addition to what you get paid to perform in these venues you're getting actual royalties from csac so, yeah, I wanted to clarify, though, you were – sorry, the reason I'm laughing is we keep getting cut off on oh. Skype. So this is like the third time we've, we've done this. Oh. But, Don, I wanted to clarify. You were saying that in addition to what you get paid for your performances, you're actually collecting performance royalties from CSAC for your live performances. Yes, and, and it's, it's very important to my livelihood to do that. And – 
How much are you generating, just out of curiosity, for those types of royalties? Well, you know, depending on the size of the venue, uh, the capacity of the venue, uh, it can be it can be significant. Uh, it definitely matters to me. It's an important source of revenue at the end of the year. I get quarterly um, royalties quarterly. And really, I got I've got to be honest, man. This is this is new to me. I, I didn't even. Are, are you doing this for? Like when you play cover songs, for example, are those the types of performances that generate royalties for live performances? No. I I have all my songs registered with Murrow, again, CSAC for me, um, uh-huh. BMI, ASCAP, all this thing. Everybody's gotten into doing this. And so well, I keep my stuff registered. I write, you know, register it. And um, I'm also my own publisher I have my own publishing and my publishing is with CSAC so when I get a royalty I get one for my writer's share and I get another separate check for my publisher's share because I retain all my publishing for better or worse so when I do performances I go online at the end of each quarter and I walk through my calendar and I upload all the information for every show it's a pain in the butt and CSAC cuts me a check every quarter for performing royalties, for performing my songs. So there's an incentive there to be an original artist because I can't go do a bu- bunch of cover songs. And how, how much Can you give us an idea of how much you're generating by doing this? I, it's hard for me to do that because I my performing calendar is fluctuated so dramatically i couldn't tell you like in a good but quarter it mattered it, it was a difference between getting through the year and not getting through the really? year let's put it that way well wow. it can be I, significant i've got it to be, can be pretty wow. significant this is fascinating to me because i i mean obviously i know about performance royalties for licensing that that's what i teach but but i how long have you been able to do this well, I, you know, a friend of mine turned me on to it. Um, his buddy of mine, Ashley Rains, who's a fantastic songwriter. In fact, I'm, he's trusting me to master his newest record, and that's something I'm trying to educate myself real quickly to do. Uh, he turned me on to this a few years ago. He'd been doing it for a while, and I didn't know about it either. Um, but if you're, let's say you're doing 100, 150 shows a year, and you're averaging... 300 people per venue two or three times a week that's going to be a significant amount of money no this 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 is why i love doing this podcast because i always stumble upon these little things like this that are just nuggets i mean really useful information because my understanding was like i know obviously venues pay money into ascap bmi and csac but i was always under the impression it was for bands that play cover songs to distribute royalties to like well-known artists but you're saying you can generate royalties for your own performance just i mean it makes sense now that i think about it because your songs are registered in their catalog as well so why shouldn't you generate royalties yourself that that, that's this is uh fascinating to me and if i could find out who's out there performing my songs i could submit their set lists Right. You know, well, I always thought it was done on sort of like they just 
they do surveys, like random surveys, and they sort of allocate funds. Like it's not an exact science, but if you're a really well-known artist, they're going to sort of guesstimate that your song's covered X number of times, and then those artists get, you know, checks accordingly. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of algorithms involved in it, and I've never been good at math. Um, but digitally, there's a lot of stuff at work in the background to figure a lot of the stuff out to the best of their abilities, and it's it's just worth being on top of that. It's just one more thing you have to be on top of. And we're, yeah. uh, we're talking about you don't want to make a living doing this, and you got to be on top of a lot of different things. That's one of them. Now, you know, my bottom line, my nut, so to speak, is is this every month. And so I pick up a couple of sessions. I have a couple of live gigs. I fly out and do some work with Disappear Fear or Ellis Paul. I come home. I do some Don Connacini shows. I do some more session work. I submit my performance royalties. I sell a guitar. <laughs> you know, I you do what um, you got to do. I get some licensing money coming in. A check comes in. You know, and I just keep bringing it in, bringing it in, bringing it in. What else can I bring in? You know, maybe I'll sell some food at the farmers market too. You know, because I'm an avid gardener, and uh. You end up with a livelihood, maybe at the end of, of of the quarter or the the year, but you can't rest. You know, you got to try doing it all. You just yeah. got to do as as much as you have to. Maybe I should it'd be more accurate to say you have to do what you have to do. Yeah, you I'm have in to... a position where I have to do a lot of different things. Some people aren't. Some people can focus on one or two different things, and that works for them. I kind of in a position because of my choices. Because spirit means a lot to me, joy means a lot to me, living in the desert floats my boat, growing food floats my boat, recycling, water catchment, living in a mud brick house. I mean, I have made some choices that have forced me to have to work a little bit harder than some other people might have to. Well, Don, it sounds like you're making it happen in your own unique way. It sounds like you're doing what a lot of musicians do. You're you're kind of hustling, but but you're you're able to make a living doing something I assume you love doing. I hope you love doing it. Otherwise, Absolutely. Love it. Awesome. I love it. Let's do this. I want to I would love to keep talking to you, but our Skype connection has been so bad that I I want to wrap this up before we get cut off again. Um, I mean, how many times have we been cut off? About I think six? like 28. 20? No, <laughs> no, no, I don't like know. Probably like four or five. So you are a very patient man. Thank you for that. No, I appreciate doing this. This is going to be kind of fun to edit together. But uh, oh. I think it's worthwhile. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I, I think got some good stuff from you. I want to I'll, – I'll follow up with my subscribers on how to collect royalties for live performances. That That's uh, – fascinating to me that you can do that so i want to learn more about that i will uh, do a blog post or something about that in the near future um don what i'd like to do what i always do to end these podcasts is i'd like to play one of your songs so if you can send me like an mp3 of one of your tracks i'll put it at the end oh man that'd be great i'd be honored and thank you aaron so much 
Thank you for did, being did, willing to share so much of your time and energy and expertise with the rest of us. Uh, I can't well, emphasize that enough to your listeners. Well, I love I love doing this, and and to be honest, I do this for somewhat of a selfish reason. I mean, I do this as much for me as for everybody else. I learn from doing this, and. I'm sure you've heard this before, but there's something about teaching and inspiring people that you sort of end up inspiring yourself as much as everybody else. So it's it's a it's a labor of love for me. So so thank you for saying that. You bet. Don, do you know which track you would like to uh, to play? If you know now, I'll I'll, uh, I'll set it up now. Well, two songs come to mind. One is just a really important song. To me and to a lot of people, it's called The Other Side. Okay. And yeah, it, it just has a real strong impact on everybody that hears it. Um, it's about crossing over um, from the perspective of a child. But it's very universal, and, and I think it's a, a very healing song. And the, and the other thing I wanted to... The other song that comes to mind is you've inspired me to do all this work and and so i've i've taken a new song and i've reapproached it uh an older song reapproached it and rearranged it and have a fresh mix of that and, and it's more of a production but it's also a beautiful song i, I think it, it it has some impact to the listener as well and it's called that train well let's pick one why don't we since my listeners aren't going to be familiar with the original version of the song you redid, why don't we go with the other side since you set that up so eloquently? Let's do it. So this is Don Conocente. This track is called The Other Side. And Don, real quick, if, if people want to learn more about you, what, what is your website address? Well, a lot of people struggle with my name, so I have two domains, donconocente.com, or my nickname is doncon. And people can go to doncon.com. D-O-N-C-O-N.com. They can also look me up on SoundCloud. Okay. So, Don Conocente, doncon.com. This track is called The Other Side. Don, thanks so much for doing this. You're very welcome. I appreciate being part of it. Have a great day. You too. And death softly divide. I left my skin and bones behind. Now I'm over on the other side. Can you feel me there with you? My breath is gone, but I am not through. Loved you then and I still do From over on the other side I can fly Really fly Below the earth All through the sky Tell them all I did not 
just over on the other side It's good here on the other side Sweetest songs, the bluest skies Thank you for the tears you But it's good here on the other side I can fly Really fly Below the earth All through the sky Tell them all I did not die I'm just over on the And death softly divide When you leave your skin and bones behind I'll be waiting on the other side I can fly Tell them all I did not die I'm just over on the other side